we're continuing a message series that we've been in titled this, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So if you're taking notes this morning, grab those. If you, have, you brought your Bible this morning, uh, bust them out. If not, no big deal. We got uh, the scripture and the notes will be up on the screen uh, this morning. But this message series, we're in part four this morning, and the, the subtitle of the series is, It's Impossible to Be Spiritually Mature While Remaining Emotionally Immature. This series has really centered upon our emotional health as human beings, and it's based on a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a guy named Pete Scazzaro um, that I recently read within the past six months, and man, it just blew me away. So we're going to, before we dive into the specific topic this morning, as we've been journeying along, I want to get us kind of caught up to speed, really, uh, this series is all about these, these ideas here that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Like you can't be spiritually mature and neglect your emotional health, right? It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I think this is what happens many times with church people. And we have our, our list up on the screen is that many times we, we neglect our emotional health and we believe the lie that, okay, like I'm going to have it all together if I do more Bible study, more small groups in the church, more prayer, more spiritual warfare, more worship, more justice, more gifts of the spirit and prophecy, more grace, more, more, do, 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 do. But really... What God is demanding out of us is to choosing to be with God, emotional health and all, and real de- really go down deep where God is able to redeem some of the deep issues that many times we have in our lives. All these things are things that you've heard about. As your pastor, I've probably advocated for. But there's this key piece of the pie that if it's missing, th- these things will not help us grow because we will be an emotional mess in the midst of it. So... Really, we've been looking at Genesis 127 and this idea that God created mankind in his own image. Early on in the Bible, the biblical narrative shows us that in the image of God, we were created. Male and female, he created us, right? So we as people were created in the image of God as human beings. If we're created in God's image, what does that look like? Last week, we dipped a little bit into the idea that God is an emotional being and person, right? That God displays many different emotions throughout the biblical narrative. But a lot of this series is, is really about, and emotional health is about, our self-awareness concerning who we are. Are we self-aware about how God has created us in his image, but God has also created us uniquely with unique brokenness and stories to tell. So um, if you thought, man, this has been a brutal series thus far, you're going to just love this morning because we're just going to keep building on top of it. So the title of this morning is this, My Family is Flawed. Everybody's like, yeah! What an uplifting title, Pastor, right? My Family is Flawed. Because I just believe this. As human beings, right, many times in our life, we like, we're in the situations that we're in, We're living the life that God's provided for us, and sometimes we just ask the question, why? Why, God? Why why am I in this position? Why did I have the family that I have? That's a big question for us as human beings to address and to process through and to be vulnerable and coming to grips with. Coming to grips with the fact that God intentionally birthed us into a particular family in a particular place for a particular purpose at this point in history. Either that's just chance, or the reality is, is God has placed us there to be people that learn how to overcome, to be people that maybe are the ones at this point to break generational curses, right? So we're going to look at a few biblical truth assumptions this morning that 
these are just truth bombs that, like, we're just making this assumption. So, like, if you're not on board with these assumptions, then I, it's probably going to be difficult to build from here. So here's a couple assumptions I just want to start us off with. Number one is this, is that the blessings and sins of our families going back two or three generations profoundly impact who we are today. They do. Mistakes of the past impact today's future. Mistakes from generations without getting into all the details of that profoundly have an impact of who we are presently today as human beings. Number two is this, is that discipleship, this idea of being followers of Jesus, right? Discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. So this is where we're, we're going this morning, is this idea, once again, the title of the message, family is flawed. It's not possible to erase the negative effects of our history, or let's say our family history. Everyone has emotional baggage to one degree or another. Everyone. No one gets to go through life free of carrying emotional baggage. But the question becomes, what are we doing with it? And what does that look like in relationship to a ruling and reigning king that we serve as followers of Jesus? I love what Pete Scazzaro says, and as, as every week in this series, we'll be sharing many different quotes from, from the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. But Pete Scazzaro says this, he says, True spirituality frees us to live joyfully in the present. It requires, however, going back in order to go forward. This takes us to the very heart of spirituality and discipleship, in the family of God, breaking free from the destructive, sinful patterns of our past to live the life of to live the life of love God intends. So we're going to look at a scripture really as a centerpiece of this idea, uh, theologically, how we think about God this morning, and it's something that Jesus says in Matthew chapter ten, verse thirty-seven, specifically that first half of the verse. He, he, Jesus says this: He says, "Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me." That's one of those verses that's like, that seems pretty offensive, not even just culturally for us during this time, but also very culturally offensive for that time in the way that families would function. Jesus is, is confronting something here. He's saying, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. But what does that mean? What's Jesus trying to get at? And I think this is a perfect point in the series to really unpack this scripture and understanding, once again, it's the idea that your family is flawed. The family that you came from is not perfect. The family culture in which you came from is also flawed and imperfect. I hate to break it to you, but your parents are flawed human beings. I don't know about you, like this is, I'm at the point now, I think I'm parenting a five-year-old, and then we also have a newborn, as many of you know, where I'm going, my flaws, I got to own up to the fact that like there's moments where my flaws come out in my parenting style, and in the way that I parent my five-year-old, where I'm going, I see it right now, this is the moment I'm screwing him up. Anybody else? And you're like, it's hard to come to grips with that, because as parents, we want to be perfect, and it's hard to admit that, oh my gosh, my issues are beginning to affect the emotions, the realities of another human being. How do we reconcile that? That's hard for me. It's hard for me to reconcile the fact that, like, I want to be the best possible parent. But we have to come to grips with you and I are flawed. And, yeah, it's true. Our flaws 
unfortunately have the byproduct of affecting our children. Our family traditions are even flawed. You find that out when you get married, for all the married people in the house of, I love the traditions of Christmas. We're in the Christmas season. What were your family traditions on Christmas? You just assume when you get married, oh yeah, like, you know, Santa left my present down at the tree. It's like, unwrapped or wrapped? Wait, unwrapped? It was wrapped for me. Wrapped, what? Ah! And then, it, you know, it turns into this whole thing. You realize your traditions aren't the same. Because everyone has specific traditions, and it breaks down in an imperfect world with imperfect human beings that our families are flawed. And many times the culture surrounding our families. And the paraphrase I love of this verse, right? Let's frame this in terms of a, a, a helpful way to, once again, understand this in a broader spectrum. Jesus is saying anyone who loves their father or mother or culture or other significant influences or unhealthy church traditions, come on somebody, more than me is not worthy of me. See, Jesus in this, we're like, this is so offensive because Jesus is talking about family. He's talking about my parents. What Jesus is doing right here is he's confronting idolatry in our life. What have we held higher than Jesus? What's dear to our heart that we've idolized, put higher than God in our prioritizing? And for many of us, that idol, unfortunately, is family. Family is greater than God. We worship family as if it's perfect, as if our traditions and our upbringing has no flaws. But here's what I believe. The enemy of our souls wants nothing more than to keep us from tearing these idols down. The enemy of our souls is like, yeah, worship family. Do it. Your family's awesome. No mistakes. No flaws. The way your family lived and did it, it's great. Your family's the best. There's nothing more that the enemy wants for our souls is to us to worship the almighty family in our lives. Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, each of our family members or those who raised us through childhood has imprinted certain ways of behaving and thinking into us. Likewise, our cultures, the media, our interpretation of events that happen to us also imprint us. See, this is interesting. Each and every one of us, we grew up, whether we wanted to admit it or not, we grew up in what I would call the family commandments. We all had family commandments that we lived by that maybe were unspoken. We all had family cultures in which we lived in that were imperfect because we are imperfect people. But as we've been navigating, even this morning, is, is we, we, what we need to go back. We need to look. We need to have the courage to look a little bit to understand why we are where we are at today and sometimes how it's impacted us as human beings in our current emotional health. So we're going to look at some Ten Commandments of family this morning that hopefully start to paint a picture for you in terms of, huh, yeah, that sounds sometimes or maybe a little bit like my family. And we're going to start kind of opening this up and, and looking at this and paying attention and having the courage to look. So let's, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments of family this morning. The first commandment of a family this morning will be uh, money. Every family has a perspective on how they think about money. A uh, few bullet points here uh, for each of them. Maybe for your family, money is the best source of security. That's what you were taught. Okay? The more money you have, the more important you are. That, that might have been one of the family commandments for you growing up. Maybe uh, make lots of money to prove you made it. 
Maybe that's the perspective to prove that you're worth. Maybe, that, maybe that's the perspective. Let's, let's keep moving. Money's one of ten we're going to look at. Number two is, is conflict. How, how your family dealt with conflict. Maybe your family avoided conflict at all costs. We, we talked about this a little bit last week. Swept, swept uh, conflict under the rug. Let's just not even address it. Let's not talk about it. Or maybe conflict was you don't get people mad at you. Just don't, just don't even go there with people. Don't avoid it. Maybe loud, angry, constant fighting was normal for your family. So normative, right? Okay, let's keep going. Number three. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about, okay, here we go. Uh, sex. For some of you, sex is not to be spoken about openly. No, 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 no. No, no. We do not talk about sex in our household, right? Or maybe this. Men can be promiscuous. Woman, women must be uh, chaste. Ooh. Maybe you grew up in a house where that was it. Men, open, hey, do what you want. You're masculinity. But women, you know what? Be under control. Maybe uh, you lived in a household where sexuality and marriage was taught that it will come easily. Yeah. Get married, everything will work itself out. Right? Okay, let's keep going. Number four. Grief and loss. Maybe you grew up in a family where sadness was a sign of weakness. Can't be sad. Maybe... Um, you grew up in a family where you're not allowed to be depressed. That's, that's, that's not of the Lord. Can't be there. Can't do that. Nope. Maybe you grew up in a family where you um, have to, you're required to get over losses quickly and move on. Get over it. Go. Push through, right? Number five, uh, expressing anger. Let's keep going. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family where you're taught anger is dangerous and bad. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family where to, to get a point across, someone was required to explode in anger. Or maybe sarcasm was used as an acceptable way to release anger. Let's keep going. Family itself, another one, next one. Meaning this is that you owe your parents for all they've done for you. Maybe you grew up in a family where that was the reality. Where you don't speak of your family's dirty laundry in public. Make sure that the image of the family is don't you ever, right? Duty to family and culture becomes... Or comes before everything. Number seven, relationships. Maybe you grew up in a family where you're taught not to trust people because they'll, they'll let you down every time. Maybe you were taught to have a perspective that nobody will ever hurt me again. So don't let, don't even let yourself go there. Or you were taught to not show vulnerability. Number eight, attitudes towards different culture, cultures. You're taught only to be close friends with people who are like you. Or taught, do not marry a person of another race or culture. Maybe some of you, uh, certain cultures or races are not as good as yours. Starts with family. How we were taught, how we were raised. What our family looked like. Number nine, success. Success maybe is getting into the best schools. Success is making lots of money. Success is getting married and having children, whatever. Success, right? What's the scorecard for success for your family? Many times in our imperfections, we're fed different ideas and scorecards for success. And then lastly, feeling and emotions. Maybe you're not allowed to have certain feelings. And it's very tied to the grief and loss one as well. But maybe you lived in a family where just your feelings aren't that important. 
or you're taught reacting with your feelings without thinking is a-okay. See, it's essential that we reflect on these things. It's essential we reflect on the messages that were sent to us by living and being a part of imperfect families and, and imperfect family cultures and, and reconciling the idea that even with the most well-intentioned parents, we still get wrapped up in the imperfections of what it means to be a human being and we have to have the courage to face the very things that maybe we were taught. The messages we were handed down sometimes are the most powerful sermons we're ever taught in our lives because they're every day because they represent reminders of who we are and where we came from. They're sermons that were handed down to us, but it's essential that we take those messages or those cultures that we've been taught, maybe, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, and, and reflecting on them so they could sub be submitted under the authority of Jesus and his words. What Jesus thinks about them. The culture of Jesus and his kingdom. Pete Scazzaro says this, he says, the great problem is when our family's invisible scripts are contrary to Christ's. And when the family commandments passed on to us are so deeply embedded in our DNA that we cannot even discern the difference, the result can be tragic. Family can create an idol where we're even blind to Jesus being Lord. Let me reiterate this. This is hard work we're talking about. <laughs> this is deep stuff. I'll say this. This is where Christianity for me gets really practical because this requires supernatural intervention. I don't know about you, but I can't face these types of things on my own. It's going to require something bigger. It's going to require a strength. And this is why I'm very thankful in the Christian faith and the reality of what it means to follow Jesus for the power of the Holy Spirit which God promises lives within us, in which we have access to awaken and open the door to through spiritual practices and having relationship and communion with God. Where our strength, human strength, hits a limit, we have the ability to press into God and lean into him for deep healing that we can't manage or heal on our very own in isolation. The cost of ignoring the impact, though, the cost of ignoring how this has affected us and how it impacts us today, the cost of that is great. And God is so concerned about it for our lives, for us to experience healing and wholeness and to, for us to have the courage to, to press on in this journey. Pete Scazzaro, he says this next. He says, learning how to pray, read scripture, participate in small groups, worship, use my spiritual gifts were the easy part as he reflects on his spiritual journey. Like all the church stuff, that's easy. Rooting out deeply ingrained messages, habits, and ways of behaving, especially under stress, would prove far more complex and difficult. Amen. Hallelujah to that. Here, here's the big truth of this morning. Here's in the somberness of, of facing these truths and this reality. Here's, here's the big truth that I want us to really wrestle with as well is that good news is this. Your family of origin does not dictate your future. God does. You're like, oh my. My family. My family's so screwed up. Here's the good news. That's, that doesn't get to dictate your future. God does. 
He, he gets to write the rest of the story if you would allow him to. He gets to influence your life to live the abundant life and the vision for your life that he sees that sometimes you don't even see because you're clouded in with the realities of what it means to human, be a human being and the imperfections of the cards maybe you were dealt. That it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But God, this morning, the good news, God wants to remind you this morning, your family is flawed, but, but he gets to dictate the future. Would you press into him and his journey and his healing and his miraculous relational touch that he has access to with each and every one of his creation created in his image. This is what's so beautiful about Jesus, is he's given us the reality by him coming to the earth humbly through the Christmas message, but then pinnacalizing his life through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of himself, he allows us to have relationships. So when we have human strength limits, we get to rely on a relationship with God that helps us get through the very tough things in life that many times we don't want to face. The gospel of Jesus is such good news for us today. Because we are reminded how imperfect we are. We are reminded of sinfulness. We are reminded of the evil in the world each and every day. But God has given us a solution through himself to aid the very things that sometimes and many times crowd up and diminish our hearts and who we are and fall short of who God has created us to be. Pete Scazzaro says this, says, sadly... When we look deep beneath the surface of our lives, most of us are not doing anything fundamentally different from what our families did. God's intention, however, is that our local churches and parishes are to be places where slowly but surely we are reparented in doing life Christ's way. Isn't that beautiful? Welcome to the purpose of the church. Welcome to maybe why we need to rethink the way we sometimes think about church in 2019. Come, it's great, come. It's awesome. What if it looks like us coming to grips with the deep baggage in our life that we've been shoving underneath the rug and telling people that God's transformational? When it's obvious to everybody else, we have baggage we've never dealt with. What would it look like for our life to have deep, authentic, real testimony to the closest people around us that witness the transformational character that God is real? See, this is so powerful to, for us to think about and remind ourselves what the purpose of the church is, the purpose for us to be together, to sit here on Sunday, to learn, is to lean on one another and grow in community. We are works in progress. The moment we say we are not willing to grow and continue to learn, the moment we are partnering with the vision the enemy of our souls has for our lives, to suffer, to be hopeless, to think that there can be no justice in the world. But rather, God invites us into a story that says, I'm going to make things right once and for all, and I'll bring my people with me. But first, it starts for, with us dealing with the person we're looking at in the mirror every day. And going deep and saying, God, come into the places maybe I've hidden. Come into the places I'd rather just facade and kind of be churchy with. Come into the deep, dark areas of my life where it needs profound healing. Are we willing to look and have the courage to go there? So once again, you might be thinking this morning, okay, my family, okay. It's pretty messed up. Okay, I get it. My family, like my family, okay, you don't understand my family, but everyone's family is. Can we just admit that this morning? It's going to look different. But everyone's family has issues. None of us come from perfect families or have perfect parents. Where the danger is, is not 
dealing with how messed up we are. The damage is saying, you know what? I don't want to go there. The damage is when we don't face the imperfections of our lives and the implications of how it affects us as human beings, broken and flawed, living today. Unhealed wounds open up, open us up to habitual sin against God. And unfortunately, not only against God, but hurting other people as well. The byproduct of us being okay with living as imperfect, imperfect human beings with wounds that are never dealt with. So we're going to keep going this morning. And there's a system, a model that's used called the Beaver System Model, which is a helpful and well-known way of looking at and understanding families. And I found this to be really, really helpful for me to kind of know and categorize my own experiences and my own truth in terms of maybe the family that I grew up in. And I, and I hope this to be really helpful for you. And it's not to compare or swap notes with other people, but I think it's a helpful tool for us to understand that's been used to say that that's where uh, that, that I relate to that. And not to point shame at our parents and our experiences, because like I said, many of our parents were well-intentioned, but once again, coming to grips with we live in a broken and a fallen world where no one lives a perfect life. But Jesus did. We need to lean into his good news, his truth, his resurrection power. So we're going to look at five levels of family in this, what we call the beaver system model. And, and the first level is, is kind of the, what we'd say, we're going to start with the most unhealthy. Um, and it's le called level five, and it's the family in pain. So the family in pain might have looked like this. And some of you might uh, relate to this, this experience. This is a severely disturbed family. Real leadership is totally lacking. Chaos, uncertainty, confusion, and turmoil are the adjectives that describe these homes. Conflicts are never dealt with or resolved. There is no ability to look at issues with clarity. We're going to move on to level four. And this is, level four is what's described as the borderline family. So this is a polarized family. Instead of anarchy, as in level five, a dictatorship rules here. Instead of no rules, this home has nothing but black and white rules. There are rigid ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving that are expected of all members. Individuals cannot say, I disagree with what you said. There's no freedom for autonomy. Level three, the rule-bound family. This family is not in chaos or under a dictatorship. It is healthier than level four, Feeling loved and good about oneself, however, depends on obeying the spoken and unspoken rules of the family. Things like this. If you loved me, you would do all the things you know will meet my, with my approval. There's an invisible referee with the rules of the system being more important than the individual. A subtle level of manipulation, intimidation, and guilt permeates the home. And then we'll go to, lastly, levels two and one, which are kind of merged together here. So levels two and one are, are described as the adequate family and the optimal family. In these families, there is an ability to be flexible and cherish each individual member while at the same time valuing a sense of closeness. Good feelings, trust, and teamwork by the parents enable members to work through difficulties and conflicts. What distinguishes level two families from level one can be summed up in one word, delight. Level one families truly delight in being with one another. See, for, for us, this is hard. This is 
this is difficult stuff, you guys. Because we never want to devalue our own truth. And it's heartbreaking as parents, you know, it's like, I think this is the, the, the environment that I provided. And sometimes we find out that maybe not according to the perspective of our kids or grandkids or so on and so forth in terms of our families. But I think what's helpful as kind of a launching point for us is, is asking yourself, which, which best describes your experience growing up? Which, being okay with it, just be, coming to grips with it, facing the reality of it, which, which really kind of describes my experience, my family? Asking the hard question of how does my family of origin still impact me today? Our families are flawed. Our families are flawed. It's okay. It's going to be okay. God's here to remind us this morning. The future depends upon him if we'd engage with his realities. And really the question that I want us to really ponder and as a next step is, what are the areas I need to intentionally work on in order to move forward in Christ? Because there's a, there's a, there might be a glass ceiling for us in our growth because... We've never, we've never looked before. We've never thought before. And it may be the implications of our past and how it's impacted who we are today. The potential of how God wants to provide healing and transformation and growth in our lives. I love what Pete Scazzaro says He's, as we, as we kind of wrap up this morning. He says, what has gone before you is not your destiny the most significant language in the New Testament for becoming a Christian is adoption into the family of God. Come on, somebody. Adoption into the family. Because God is not like, this is the thing, this is how God, this is how good God is. He's not like, hey, like, tear down the idols of family and then just like, you know what I mean? Just was like, you're left on your own. What God's saying is, no, like, I'm creating a new family. It doesn't mean to abandon family members. What he's saying is let's abandon the idolatry and the unhealth of family practices and culture, and let's welcome in a new culture, the culture of my kingdom, in which my church is surrounded and centered upon that culture. Let yourself be adopted into a new vision for your life, a new way of life, a new way to have kingdom eyes and kingdom thoughts about the world that we live in. A way to reorient some of the deep-seated issues that maybe create the emotional reality of why you have a hard time sometimes relating to certain human beings. See, God does not abandon us, but he invites us into a new, profound reality where he wants to go so deep because he cares so deeply about you and I. And he understands what brokenness does to us as human beings. God wants to go there. But do we have the courage to go there ourselves? See, God's created community through his church. That's why it matters. Family matters. Slogan we throw out. That's our vision for our church, and this is why we believe it. Because we could pretend, and once again, we can hive off churches a couple hours on Sunday, but we miss that church is people. that we need one another. We need these relationships. We need people headed in the same direction that are going to have grace and understand and be there to help pick us up when we're processing through some of these things that are so, so 
difficult. And it's only in community where we can really get vulnerable and, and start having friends that we can trust and ask such questions as this. How do you experience me? You don't just like ask anybody that question, right? How do you experience me? That's, that's a scary place to go. Or sometimes we, we live with facade relationships where many times I get tempted to do this as well as we tell people what they want to hear. Because maybe we don't trust them enough to know the response they're going to give when we're honest. But what would it look like for us as the community of God to get deep enough in a relationship with one another where we can ask these very questions to be self-reflective about our own emotional health? Hey, friend, how do you, how do you experience me? What are the feelings and thoughts you have when you are with me? As the pastor, I feel like I need to go first. This is a hard one because I'm a passionate person. But I, d I know my passion translates and triggers things in other people. Sometimes people don't experience me in the way a pastor is supposed to be experienced. And there's nothing more in my life that I hate about that idea. But God's teaching me a lot about control right now. God's teaching me about not being such a rigid person that likes to have control over things and letting go. What would it look like for me to be a little bit more flexible that when I get bent, I don't break? What does it look like for me when I confront the anger in my life, when something sets me off that shouldn't, set me off to the degree and say, I'm, God, I, I need to go there. What are you showing me? What are you teaching me as a father, as a husband, as a pastor? That's so hard. So hard. Because there's nothing more that I want to do than put up the facade that I've got it all together, everybody. The reality is, I fail. Each and every week. I got to look in the mirror every day and come to grips with I'm a great sinner, but God, you've clothed me with a new identity. Do we have the courage? And my prayer this morning is that we would, to look, to continue to pursue in this journey of saying, we're willing to look, to see, see maybe a little bit what's under the hood, and then look underneath the hood that's underneath the hood, right? Peel back the layers of the onion, saying, God, have all of me. Peel back the masks. Peel back the facade. Peel back the reality of the emotional health that you and I have to deal with and invite God to redeem. Would we have the courage to look and learn from the past so we can move forward? There's nothing more that God wants for our lives than for us to grow and continue to move forward. But once again, we, we fool ourselves when we believe that it's built up of more activity of doing, doing, doing. Many times it takes a deep dive in a relationship with God to say, God, I choose to be with you. I choose to have the courage to allow you to go deep into the places that have been triggers for me to say, huh, it's not a proud moment, but it's a true moment of who I am in this moment. Maybe it points back deeper to a place of healing that God wants to provide and allow his healing and transformative power to overwhelm us. So we're going to pray this morning.
as we conclude. And we're going to pray in a posture this morning that says, whew, maybe, we've, maybe you've identified some things this morning. You're like, I just haven't really taken the time to think too much about that. But praise God that he cares so much about us that he does not want to leave you where you find yourself in this moment. <laughs> because there's so much room for comparison of saying, well, I, I saw level one family, and I know that, you know, I'm somewhere down the scale a little bit. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing is God saying, hey, are you willing? Are you willing to have the courage to be transformed, to make the commitment that you're not going to be perfect, but God promises to transform you, to heal you, to allow forgiveness and redemption to be the story of your life in a real and authentic way where God wants to go with us, down to us being emotional beings created in his image. He's not scared of that. He's not ashamed of that. But he sees you and he clothes you with his love and reminding you exactly who you are. You are his and he loves you and he sees you as his perfect creation. And although we are flawed because of the reality of sin, it is the very reason he had, he sent his son to come dwell among his people. And once Jesus departed the earth, he didn't leave us and abandon us, but he multiplied his presence through his Holy Spirit in which he allows us to have relationship and cultivate power and strength from on high to overcome the obstacles that come our way. No obstacle is too great for the power that God provides and has resourced with us with in relationship with him this morning. Can we pray?